0: Hello and welcome everybody wherever you are in the world. My name is Paul Ryan. I'm founder of PrescriptionRevision.com and I'm a GP and pharmacist based here in Ireland. I'm passionate about clinical pharmacology and therapeutics and really enjoy making the latest international guidance relevant to those of us at the coalface of primary care. Today's statement our request is... I think I need an antibiotic. I am going to discuss today how to approach this request and how to put shared decision-making into practice. But before we approach this request, we must look at why we prescribe antibiotics. So for much of the research available, we see clinicians and patients tell a similar story. Number one, they want relief of symptoms number two they worry about complications number three previous experience so on the part of clinicians maybe they had a a previous patient whose treatment didn't go according to plan or they may be aware of colleagues who had a patient whose treatment didn't go according to plan they may perceive perceive a, a patient pressure to give an antibiotic or that you know that they may want to relieve the patient's symptoms On the part of the patient, if they had received an antibiotics for a sore throat in the past, they may expect it again. We may often hear the the term, this this antibiotic, or the statement, this antibiotic always helps my cough doctor. The patients may read the papers or social media about, you know, um, patients whose treatment didn't go according to plan. Or the patient themselves may have experience of becoming more unwell without taking an antibiotic. The interesting thing is that research also highlights areas of misunderstanding. Evidence shows that prescribers often overestimates pa- overestimate patients' expectations for antibiotics and that patient satisfaction is related to three specific things. Number one, having a careful and thorough examination. Number two, having their concerns identified and addressed. And number three, having advice on how to manage their symptoms. Past research demonstrates that perceived patient demand is correlated with antibiotic prescribing and that clinicians often perceive patient demand where it actually does not exist. There was a study done by Mike Cahoot from Northwestern University entitled The Inconvincible Patient How Clinicians Perceive Demand and the findings the findings from this study help explain why clinicians would perceive such demand. The respondents reported risks that come with failing to identify and satisfy inconvincible patients the emotional drain of trying unsuccessfully to convince them, which we can all relate to, and the conviction that an ant- that antibiotic prescribing adversely affects patient satisfaction metrics. Now, the interesting thing is that the antibiotic prescribing did not always affect the satisfaction with the uh, with the consultation. It was going back to the tree. Um, aspects that I mentioned, having a careful and thorough exam, having their concerns identified and addressed, and having advice on how to manage their symptoms, that is what affects the patient satisfaction. So what we can do now to, to change that narrative. I am now going to talk about the chest's acronym, which is C-H-E-S-T-S-S-S. And this this was developed and tested in a randomized control trial, which resulted in improved antibiotic prescribing and patient satisfaction when used by experienced GPs in the UK. So CHESTS presents specific communication techniques. And these techniques have been developed based on patient expectations and needs specific to antibiotic discussions, so, it can be more useful and effective than general approaches such as the ICE, you know, the uh, Ideas, Concerns and Expectations, um, or the Calgary Cambridge model. So, chests can help you remember specific phrases which, number one, reassures patients, number two, increases patient understanding and satisfaction with a prescribing decision. The number three may be particularly helpful for patients who are expecting antibiotics. So, C stands for concerns, you know, asking specifically about concerns. H, discuss history and exam. E, ask specifically about expectations. So, E for expectations, H for history and exam, C for concerns. S, then, um, you know, symptoms, provide non serious explanation for these symptoms. T for timeline, be specific about illness timeline or usual course. S for shortcomings, so explain shortcomings of antibiotics. S for self-care advice, and S for safety netting advice. So, C, so ask specifically about concerns. So I usually say, what are the things you are most worried about? So, asking the patient specifically about uh, their concerns can be difficult, as if, it, if we are not careful, we can sound patronizing or give the impression that we have not been listening. However, if concerns are not specifically asked about, the patient will sometimes not share their main worries for fear of being seen as overly anxious. So I suppose a, a number of examples that, uh, of phrases that we can use. We can say there are probably a number of things that you, uh, you are worried about with this illness. But what would you say are the things that are, you are most worried about? Or... For another example, is you mentioned a high temperature, is that is that the thing that is causing you the most worry at the moment, or is it something else? I often say people, you know, people come to me with cough and are worried about pneumonia or worried about it going to their chest. Is this something that you are worried about? Do you know, uh, or even if you want to cut to the chest, do you want to me to check if you need an antibiotic? Do you know so? So I suppose different kind of probably naming it, I suppose, is important. So that's C for Concern. Next, H for History. So good history and exam conducted prior to providing the patient with advice and reassurance is an essential component of reassuring patients that their illness is, is being taken seriously. So we could consider a running commentary, so especially when we're doing the exam, so or a, a, a no problem commentary. So while we are doing the exam, we can say, you know, we can see that your heart rate is normal or your child's heart rate is normal your temperature isn't raised, your lungs sound good. You know, maybe it might be useful to describe what intercostal recession actually looks like and then point out that it's actually not there. So I can't see that your child has any respiratory distress uh, because this is what respiratory distress looks like. Now, so that was H for history. And now E for expectations. So research has shown that there is often a mismatch between what GPs think patients are expecting and what they actually want. A patient that appears demanding may actually just want reassurance that the infection has not gone to their chest, rather than actually requesting antibiotics. So you can consider asking the patient specifically about their expectations, for example, how do you think I could be of most help to you today? Or that some people have a clear idea of what they're expecting when they come to see me. Is there something you were hoping for or expecting that we haven't talked about yet? Or how do you feel about antibiotics? So that was E for expectations. Now S for symptoms. So telling patients that you can find no signs of serious illness when they're worried about symptoms might not be enough to make them feel reassured. They just think you have failed to detect how serious their illness is. So you could consider finding out what symptoms the patient is concerned about and then providing providing convincing non-serious explanations for these symptoms. For example, your body produces phlegm as a normal reaction to inflammation in the airways of your lungs. The phlegm catches particles in your airways and helps keep your lungs clear. It may be helpful to acknowledge that these non-serious symptoms can still be very disruptive for patients, so showing empathy that they are feeling very unwell is important. Another statement about fevers, fever is your body's natural way to kill infection. So it's not, uh, it's not always a bad thing. T then for timelines. So prescribers might not, might not always set realistic expectations and sometimes suggest that patients will get better in a few days. when we now know that it often takes much longer than this to recover. In addition, patients often have unrealistic expectations about how quickly they will recover. And these can lead to unnecessary anxiety and reconsultation. So you can consider that research has provided us with valuable information on expected duration of common infections. It is useful to tell these durations to patients to reassure them that their symptoms are not unusual. So being specific in that middle ear infection, most are better by seven days, sore throat, most are better by seven days. Sinusitis, most are better by 14 to 21 days. Common cold, most are better by 14 days. And then cough or bronchitis, most are better by 21 days. So, to go back over that again so, middle ear infection, most are better by 3 to 7 days. Sore throat, most are better by 7 days. All these without antibiotics, obviously. Most with sinusitis, most are better by 14 to 21 days. With common cold, most are better by 14 days. And cough or bronchitis, most or better by 21 days. And then that was T for timelines. Next one is SSS. So the first S is for shortcomings. So prescribers don't always discuss pros and cons of antibiotics with patients. And patients often are not aware that antibiotics have no or very limited benefit for several common infections. So, Consider uh, saying that several trials have shown no or limited benefit of antibiotics for several types of common infections. Antibiotics are not usually indicated in sore throat, sinusitis, acute otitis media, and acute cough where pneumonia is not suspected. And consider expanding on antibiotics' effects on these illness duration, antimicrobial resistance, and side effects. And... Just to help inform our shared decision-making process, with otitis media, the beneficial effect from antibiotics is 8 to 12 hours, hours, okay? The number needed to treat for one additional patient to benefit is 18, which means we have to expose 18 people to an antibiotic for one person to benefit. And what about the number needed to treat for one additional adverse effect is 9, so if you treat 9 patients, one will get an adverse effect which is actually much more people getting adverse effects than benefit for otitis media. With sore throat, the beneficial effect from antibiotics is 12 to 18 hours. The number needed to treat for one additional patient to benefit is between 6 and 20. However, the number needed to treat for one additional adverse effect is 15. With sinusitis, it's 24 hours is the beneficial effect from antibiotics the number needed to treat for one additional patient to benefit, you have to treat 18 for one to benefit. The number needed to treat for one additional adverse effect is 8. And bronchitis its beneficial effect from antibiotics 11 to 24 hours. The number needed to treat for one additional patient to benefit is between 10 and 22. And the number needed to treat for one additional adverse effect is 24. And each one of the papers or publications that back up these statements are available on the UK Target website which is a fantastic resource for us. And to summarize we'll say the shortcomings we can say that antibiotics don't help with pain but side effects such as diarrhea, nausea and rash can be experienced by up to one in ten people. Now the next S is for self-care so, most patients are looking for something positive that they can do to feel better more quickly. So, you can consider adding patients or asking patients what they've done already to manage their symptoms and reassure them that they're, what they're doing will help. Giving reassurance and advice and other things they can do to, it can go a long way to make patients feel more in control and comfortable. So reinforcing the fact that patient's own immune system is their best source of defense and advise what they can do themselves to help their body fight the infection. Patient uh, leaflets can support how you discuss self-care advice. So, for example, we say pain in the chest or throat is normal due to inflammation. You can take paracetamol and or neurophen or ibuprofen, which will help the pain and soothe the inflammation. Finally then, safety netting. So lastly, it is important that patients understand what they should be looking for and when they should reconsult. So consider providing patients with specific information on red flag symptoms and advising them on what to do if symptoms get worse. So I suppose just to talk about a few red flag symptoms, so we'll say if, if you or your child has any of these symptoms or you're getting worse or sicker than you would expect, Um, Trust your instincts and seek medical advice urgently. And there are 10 main uh, points I cover. Number one, if your skin feels unusually cold, looks mottled, patchy or a regular color, bluish or pale, or if there's a rash that does not fade when you press it. Number Number two, having fits or convulsions, new feelings of confusion or slurred speech, or a child is unusually sleepy and difficult to wake. Number three, difficulty breathing. Signs that suggest breathing problems can be very fast or labored breathing, lips blue tinged uh, in colour, skin between or above the ribs getting sucked or pulled in with every breath, number four, severe headache and vomiting, number five, chest pain, number six, difficulty swallowing or drooling, number seven, coughing up blood, number eight, passing little or no urine, number nine, feeling a lot worse, number ten, any child under five who is not feeding uh, or is vomiting repeatedly or has not had a wet nappy for the last 12 hours. So I feel by going through um, these symptoms with the patient, and obviously it, it, it's very useful to have a patient information if when we're going through, going through these uh, symptoms, it helps put in perspective what sick actually is, you know, so so the child, a lot of times, they may be running around the surgery and that, and they, they may not have any of these symptoms, thank God. So less, I suppose, what we usually say is less serious signs that can usually wait until the next appointment is that if you're not uh, starting to improve a little by um, the time I've given, so we'll say by seven days for middle ear infection, seven days for sore throat, 14, 21 days for sinusitis or 14 days for common cold or 21 days for a cough. So if they're not better by then, definitely come back to us. Um, Or else children with middle ear infection, if the fluid is coming out of their ears or they have new deafness, And then finally, it can be useful for you to summarize the key messages, so the natural history of the illness, reassurance that nothing serious is going on, assuming you have found no indication for antibiotics, and to check that the patient understands and is happy with this. So before I finish up today's podcast, I want to specifically thank Dr. Donna Leckie and the TARGET team for allowing me to use some of the TARGET resources in this podcast, So that brings me to the end of today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial and I'm looking forward to delivering my next podcast.